Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this impromptu conference call regarding the latest escalation of hostilities in Ukraine by the Russian Federation. As many of you know, on February 1st, we put out a note on this region where we advised that, quote, at least a minor Russian invasion or incursion of Ukraine has now become a probable event in our view. We further wrote that we do not think a minor invasion or incursion in Ukraine will have a lasting effect on global financial markets, though they will take a short-term hit. For investors, the way to play this is to leave cash undeployed and wait for either A, a sell-off post-invasion, or B, a conclusive diplomatic resolution. If you are very risk averse, then the time to sell is now, close quote. The reason I rehash those comments from early February today is because we are now assessing whether we are now entering a worst case scenario here with respect to Ukraine as a broader scale Russian incursion appears to be unfolding. We also said on that day that, quote, we do not expect a full invasion, still low probability event in our view of only 10 to 15 percent. Well. Although we were correct in asserting that Russia would indeed attack Ukraine, our odds of a full-scale invasion were clearly too low, as it now seems to be unfolding before our eyes, with an imminent siege of Kiev in the works and an aim to remove the current government and instill a Russia-friendly regime similar to Belarus and what existed in Ukraine before 2014. In other words, in the great game of geopolitical chess, Russia has effectively removed the pawn of Ukraine off the global map. While Russia's intervention will clearly invite further U.S. and European Union sanctions, we do not expect this conflict to broaden beyond the borders of Ukraine itself and involve either NATO nations or Western military personnel, even though that tail risk has also clearly increased. In a televised speech at the onset of hostilities last night, Vladimir Putin said the plan is not to occupy Ukraine, but to demilitarize and denazify the country, which he described as a threat to Russia. Russia's initial military maneuvers involved air, military, and artillery strikes launched from Crimea, Belarus, and the Ukrainian separatist republics. They targeted Ukrainian military infrastructure and border positions. But what is becoming apparent is that the real target is Kiev and the government itself. This means that Russian military maneuvers could last for several days and likely require a, a land-based assault on the capital, which could significantly increase the number of casualties depending on the level of Ukrainian resistance. Obviously, the West will impose heavier sanctions on Russia, but these have been highly anticipated by Russia and the country has done much in recent years to shield itself from sanctions by building up cash reserves, de-dollarizing their economy by building an alternative to the SWIFT payment system, and settling many transactions in renminbi instead of dollars, and of course, aligning closer to Beijing as they will help blunt the full effect of any sanctions. To repeat, we do not expect Western military intervention. If it were to occur, then we would reiterate our position staked out on February 1st, where we said that a long drawn out conflict and or full scale invasion would trigger a recession in Europe and possibly the US due to rising energy prices and the impact on financial markets and de-risk portfolios aggressively. 
but direct Western military involvement is improbable in our view. While they may likely accelerate their transfer of weapons, they would want to avoid a direct military confrontation that could escalate to other parts of Europe. According to European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, Brussels will present, quote, a package of massive and targeted sanctions that will target the strategic sectors of the Russian economy by blocking the access to technologies and markets that are key for Russia. This is likely to include semiconductors and other key technologies intended to weaken Russia's economy and its capacity to modernize. Again, these are known to Putin and a price he is prepared to visit on the Russian economy and its people. With respect to the SWIFT payment system, the Baltic states and the US are likely to press for it, but Europe might balk at the idea, which is why I do not think they were announced by President Biden this afternoon. We are also likely to see increased flows of refugees into the European Union and Russian cyber attacks to go along with it. Why do we view conflict beyond Ukraine's borders as improbable? Because it does not serve Russia's strategic interests at this time. As previously stated, we now assess Russia's imperative to be the installation of a pro-Russian government in Ukraine and thus create an additional buffer state between itself and NATO. Moreover, beyond Ukraine, the majority of the rest of the regional members are European NATO members and are subject by the PAC's collective defense agreements. But European leaders will have to be Machiavellian about this. They will have to talk a big game, but carry a small stick. In the end, they are resigned to the fact that they are importing Russian natural gas. In fact, 40% of European natural gas comes from Russia. It is our view that they too will impose further sanctions, but they will fall short of causing Russia to suspend exports of natural gas to Europe because that would induce a recession in Europe and subsequently they will be voted out of office. Sanctions will focus on the technology sector and not the energy sector as Russia will continue to sell energy to Europe just as they did when they invaded Czechoslovakia back in 1948. So let us be clear. In the short term, the key question that must be addressed is, will Europe take any actions that will prompt Russia to end natural gas exports to the continent? If the answer to that question is yes, then an exogenous shock will likely roll Europe into recession as countries will be forced to cut power consumption and governments may even have to ration electricity. But if the answer is no, which is our expectation, then the current market dislocation and adverse price shocks are probably then a passing shock unlikely to derail fully the global recovery and the end of the business cycle expansion. In the long term, however, Western decoupling from Russia and China for that matter is a trend that will strengthen as both Europeans, Americans and others around the world minimize their exposure to the goods produced by Russia. From an investment perspective, this means an even greater push to renewable energy. So what are some of the potential economic impacts and how are we factoring this into our calculations? Russia's actions show that the risks of a period of prolonged instability and volatility with potential spillovers into Europe and other places. We are trimming our global growth forecasts of real GDP from four and a quarter to 4.05% 
and our EU forecasts from four and a quarter down to 4%, as we are now expecting higher oil, European natural gas, and food prices over the next several weeks and perhaps months due to the conflict. Higher energy prices will continue to feed into the overall inflation landscape. In the US, according to Goldman Sachs research, a $10 per barrel increase in the price of oil will boost US core inflation by 3.5 basis points and headline inflation by 20 basis points, but only lower GDP growth by just under 0.1%. Our US real GDP estimate for 2022 was already way below street consensus at three and a quarter, and we find no reason to alter that view now. Remember, spending on energy and energy services in the US is much smaller than it used to be. Of course, Russia and Ukraine will bear the brunt of the recent action. Russian GDP will likely fall anywhere from 0.7% to 1.2% over the coming years and will likely enter a recession just as it did after the 2014 crisis, which lasted just over two years. So what is some of the potential market impacts of this, of all of this? Russia, here again, has also borne the brunt of the impact from a market perspective. Today, the Russian ruble fell to an all-time low of 89.6 against the dollar in overnight trading, and it forced the Bank of Russia, the central bank, to aggressively intervene to support the currency. The Moscow Stock Exchange temporarily suspended trading for two hours before reopening after stocks fell over 50%. Discretion is the better part of valor, and one does not, to, and one does not want to be invested in Russian or Ukrainian assets at this time. It is too early for bottom fishing, as we still have not seen all of the sanctions and potential fallout. It is important to remember that the current global correction in equity prices predates the Ukrainian-linked hostilities. It was largely centered around rapidly shifting central bank tightening fears in the developed world, given still elevated inflation figures and the broadening of those price pressures. So what is the impact on U.S. monetary policy? If the predominant impact of Russia's action is the tightening of financial conditions, then the Fed may be forced to soften its hawkish stance and take dramatic moves off the table. But given that financial conditions have actually eased today in the United States, with the dramatic turnaround in the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 and the U.S. 10-year bond, which is still trading at 1.95% last I checked, our inclination is to think that the Fed's hawkish tilt will be long-lasting and we are still expecting anywhere from 4 to 6 rate hikes this year. Certainly a tightening of financial conditions, but still not tight or restrictive given where we believe the neutral rate of interest to be. We believe that the Fed wants to engineer a mild growth recession, something like what we had in 1983, 84, and 1993 through 1995. In other words, a slowdown in growth, but not an outright contraction. This is precisely why we have been consistently below consensus on U.S. growth forecasts and remain so. What about ECB policy? This is a bit more unclear because the economic impact would be greater in Europe, especially if Russia threatens to cut energy exports. 
So what are some of the asset allocation changes that we may or may not have made? As the title of this conference call alluded to, this conference is a communique of an ad hoc Insignia Investment Committee meeting that I convened this morning. We decided to do nothing for the moment and await more data and information before acting, though we are thoroughly analyzing several contingency plans. We did so because we had already fortified our portfolio from such shocks given our overweight allocations to industrial commodities, precious metals, and Chinese sovereign renminbi bonds as hedges. Moreover, we had tilted away from growth into value, from small caps to large caps, and away from the US. One place where we might reduce risk is our ex-US exposure in Europe, given the region's greater vulnerability to military miscalculations and exposure to price shocks. A few days ago, I altered some major price targets here at Insignio, reacting at that moment to new incoming data on wage pressures and inflationary figures, and arguing that we were slightly revising up our expectations of Fed tightening. For the United States, I revised our targets on the US Treasury 10-year and the S&P 500. We went from a range of two to two and a quarter on the 10-year to a new range of 2.15 to 2.4%, basically a 15 basis point increase. And on the S&P 500, we went from 5,000 to 5,100 as a year-end price target to 4,800 to 4,900 as a year-end price target on the index. I see no reason to alter those given the present situation and our projections, but I reserve the right to change them should the facts change. As John Maynard Keynes purportedly famously once said, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? It should be noted that the last time that anything Russia-related had a major market impact was the sovereign bond default that led to the LTCM crisis in 1998, over 20 years ago. As an economy, Russia is roughly equivalent to the size of Italy, even though it packs a greater political punch due to its military and soft power projection capabilities. That said, I do not want to project the notion that Russia does not matter. It does, and the outcome here is very binary and tail risks have certainly increased. Because of that elevated cash levels, i.e. above a neutral allocation is prudent at this time, especially for highly risk averse clients. I wanted to say, or wanted to make some concluding remarks on commodities and oil in particular. First, in addition to hedging inflationary risks, which was our original purpose, commodities are also hedging geopolitical risk in this environment. Not only did oil rally today as well, on top of its already strong run over the last few months, but corn and wheat have also had impressive gains. While uncertainty over the current situation is unresolved, commodity price risk remains skewed to the upside. There is a clear risk that oil could top $120 a barrel by this summer. That said, Iran, or more appropriately, the increasing chance of a US-Iran nuclear deal is a growing risk to oil prices. Lost in the headlines out of Ukraine, there are multiple reports suggesting that an Iranian nuclear deal is imminent. In fact, Tehran seems to be acting as such. According to a Bloomberg report, 
Iran has approximately 103 million barrels of oil sitting on tankers and ready to be exported once restrictions are removed, a figure that is up sharply from the 30 million barrels they had in December of 2021, so less than two months ago. However, any dip in oil prices due to the Iranian nuclear deal coming to fruition should be thought of as a buying opportunity as our multi-year structural case for oil remains intact. Thank you all very much. Have a wonderful day and uh, a great weekend. Thank you. This presentation is for general information only and does not contain and is not to be taken as containing any securities advice, recommendation, offer, or invitation to subscribe for or purchase or redemption of any securities regarding Insignio. Information provided herein is not an offer to buy or sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any investment.